My family has really enjoyed traveling over the years, and my wife Jackie and I, we love visiting big cities like New York City. We were just there not too long ago. I've told some of you the, the experience that we had. It was uh, interesting uh, in some cases. Public transport is always an interesting thing to take. And when you go to a big city like, like New York, you have to learn to navigate public transport. It's just kind of one of the things you do, and it can be a real experience. You, you see all walks of life on those subway trains. And uh, no matter where you're at in the city, you can pop up and down. It's pretty convenient, but you, you do have, uh, sometimes you interact with people that you may never interact with. And uh, we, we found that when, when you're on those subways and you're, you're watching people and everything like that, you really do see the rich, the poor, and all kinds in between. And uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's an experience. And uh, when we first went to New York City back in 2005, I think it was our first trip, we were told, never make eye contact. That was the advice we were given when they said, you're new and you're from the Northwest, never make eye contact, uh, because uh, probably for a variety of reasons, for safety maybe, I could see all that. But, uh, but after having been on a lot of subways in New York City, and all over, Brooklyn and, and New Jersey and all of that, I, I wonder how many things we don't see when we don't make eye contact. When you think about it, we know there's lots of needs in our, in our society, in our world, uh, certainly in New York City, but when we tell people don't make eye contact, I, I get it's for safety for some reason, but that also means we don't see people sometimes. We don't see a need maybe, we don't see hurt, or we don't see loneliness. There's things that we don't see when we turn our eyes away. And I wonder if sometimes, you know, maybe even Jackie and I have ignored or not seen a real need or a way to show compassion. And then I don't know about, about you. If, you. if you've seen things where, where you're like, oh, I, I better not make eye contact. Or maybe you've driven around Salem or Portland or something like that. And, and maybe there's some folks begging on the side of the road. And there's something in us sometimes that, that that whole maybe fear or anxiety creeps up in us. Maybe you've had that before where you don't make eye contact. And um, I think sometimes we miss some opportunities. For those who are marginalized and overlooked, destitute, I wonder what, do we, what would God have us do? How would God have us see people? How, how is he seeing the people around us, the people that we interact with? Because I feel like sometimes people who are in desperate situations, they just want to be seen. They want the dignity to know that someone else knows they're alive on the planet. And I wonder sometimes about, about what we see. Can, can, can God do something through us? And here's a bigger question. How, how can we remain soft-hearted and willing to serve with compassion, even of those that are different than us and, and maybe come from different economic backgrounds or, or, or diverse backgrounds. How do we show compassion? How do we have the eyes of Jesus on people? That's a real question that I think we need to ponder. We're going to be talking about that today as we get into James chapter 2. So if you, if you brought a, a Bible or a device or you got your journal handy, 
Find James chapter 2, and we're going we're gonna to dive right into that. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here with us here in person. If you're here, if you're online, hello, we see you. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. Uh, we say we're around here a lot, we're, we're one big dysfunctional family of faith following Jesus. And why do we meet on the first day of the week? Well, it was on a Sunday morning many, many years ago that the tomb was empty and Jesus rose from the dead and changed human history forever. That's why we gather like this, to sing, to pray, to encourage one another, to take communion, to be generous, to encourage one another, to pray, sing. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. That's why we're here. And we're going to lean into James chapter 2 today on learning this idea of compassion and, and, and seeing with God's eyes and serving with compassion. Let's pray. Father, you're good and mighty and powerful, and there's a lot we don't understand about the world and about who you are, but we know that you have great love for us, your children. We're created in your image, and so, Father, help us to see other people the way you see us. Help us to look with eyes of compassion, even when it's difficult. Father, help us to be your hands and feet in the world and to, to look for ways that we, too, can, can show your love to those around us. So, Father, speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible or device ready, I'm going to be reading from the old man, big print version. The English, that's not really version, but that's the English Standard Version, so my version might be slightly different than yours. That's okay. We love lots of the English versions out there. One of my favorites is the NIV. I learned a lot of scripture memorizing the King James Version. So whatever uh, your device has on there, I want you to follow along. I'm just going to read the first few verses of James chapter 2. My brothers, okay, remember this is a term of inclusivity, could be brothers and sisters alike. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes or dirty clothes comes also in, and, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, well, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Right away, as we said last week when we started this series in James, James, the book, is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for every follower of Jesus. And James pulls no punches here in talking about the rich and the poor, those who have and those who have not, especially when it comes to the gatherings, the gatherings of the church. This rich and poor tension, it, it's been around for a while. In fact, James talked about it in chapter 1. If you remember right, James was speaking about how sometimes those who have means, they're maybe wealthier, they'll start to trust in their riches, but the riches fade. Markets crash, interest rates go up, inflation happens. That was the way we would put it. But James already told us folks that are counting on these riches are really kind of putting their, their feet on sand. It's going to move, it's going to, it's going to change, it's going to be fleeting. And so now he continues talking a little bit about the rich and the poor when it comes to partiality, when it comes to who gets favor and who doesn't. And he's going to make the case that whether rich or poor or whatever the background dynamics, red, yellow, black, and white, purple, 
We are precious in his sight. And James says we don't show partiality anymore. When we say yes to the Jesus team, we cannot be racist. We cannot be partial. We cannot be impartial. We are to love everyone with God's heart. And as difficult as that is, that's what James is going to call us to. Wealth, wealth can provide power and privilege, and you'll see, you'll see that in the first part of chapter 2. Wealth can provide a level of prestige, certainly, power, but sometimes those who have wealth and those who have money are tempted to use that wealth improperly. In fact, James will say, as you scan down chapter 2, that who's taking you to court? Who's going after you legally? It's not the poor among you, it's those who are rich. And they're using that power and that influence in a way that's not that healthy. In fact, James is going to say, as we get toward the middle of chapter 2, that followers of Jesus, we follow the royal law. And you already know what the royal law is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Easy to say, hard to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. James is going to call us to the royal law. And, and he doesn't say, as long as your neighbor is this, this, and this. No, there's no qualifier. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whether they look like you, dress like you, act like you, talk like you, those are not considerations. Love your neighbor as yourself. So James is going to call us to the royal law for those who are of, of wealthy means and those who have none. We're called to be impartial and love with the royal law. Living out God's new kingdom reality for everyone and showing mercy. So let's pick it up in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have any works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Not mixing words there, not mincing words. It's faith without works, James would say, is dead. You'll notice in this chapter, it's kind of broken up, depending on the version you're using. It might be broken up, the first 13 verses and then the last 14 through the end of the chapter might be broken up in two ways. And the first part might say, showing you know, no partiality. So getting rid of impartiality when it comes to the church family. And then the second part is going to really hammer on this idea of doing what we, what we should. That the fact that faith should be something that is visible. That faith plays itself out in doing good. So we kind of, if you break up the chapter like that, and remember, and this may blow your mind, but chapter verses and chapter headers and capitals, all of that was done later. The originals were, didn't have any of that. So it's, it's nice for us, though, to say, look at verse 26. That's very convenient. But originally, they didn't have all those, right? So we find a great example here from James of the tension of the rich and poor and, and partiality, and then this idea of the royal love would treat people with respect and love no matter where they come from, where their background is. In fact, 
Paul will say in one of his letters, also in the New Testament, that in this Galatians, I think, he says, in Christ, there is no division. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Those are electric words where Paul also is saying, we are to love everyone with no partiality, period. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a challenge to you. You, you may have grown up a certain way, or your parents had certain beliefs, and we're called in Christ. If you say yes to Jesus, the Jesus kingdom includes all, everyone, without a qualifier. And James is trying to help us understand, be impartial when it comes to the people around you. And honor the royal law, which is, you know it now, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, do you know, there's one point where Jesus was cornered by the religious leaders and, and they said, okay, Jesus, what's the most important thing of all the scriptures? This whole thing, what's the most important thing? And you know this. What Jesus does is he goes back to the old school Torah, first five books of the Bible, and he goes to Deuteronomy, he does the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, right? And then he adds a little Leviticus on there for a little garnish. A lot more than garnish, though. And then love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, write it all. So he's talking about our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationship. Covering it all. That's how we live out the royal law. Who, who was able to get through reading the book of James this past week? Where some of you, maybe some of you listen to it on an audio Bible. That's a great, a great thing to be able to do. There's some great tools out there that I encourage you to, to, try, to try to, if you didn't do the challenge last week, try to do it this week. Listen to the whole thing, all its entirety, without stopping. And if you're going to read it, great. Read it in a, in a version that's readable. I love the Today's New English, or the Today's NIV. I love that version. I love the New Living Translation. I love the message. Love ESV, find a great English translation. Read it from start to finish. It's about five chapters. You can do that. And see what comes up. And here's what I want to put out there for you, a little carrot, if you will. Notice the repetitions. We're going to talk about that in a little bit more, but notice the repetition. We already have the rich and the poor tension that's already come up twice. You're going to have how you use your words. That's going to come up several times. So watch for the repetition as you get into the scriptures. But look at chapter 2. And see if there's anything that sticks out to you. I, I remember the first time I read verse 19. Do you know what verse 19 says? Look, you, can, you can check me up on this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, we don't get a lot of clear glimpses into the spiritual realm, but I'm always fascinated by these little, these little nuggets that make my mind start thinking, what is going on in this world that we can't quite see, the spiritual realm that Paul writes a lot about? But the demons believe in God, and they shudder. And that's a Greek word that is really sort of an action sort of word. It'd be kind of like uh, when you have the shivers. And the demons believe. And, and what, what James is doing there is saying, look, you think you're all that because you just kind of believe there's a God up there? The demons believe that and shudder. If you really truly believed in God, if you trusted him, then it would show up in how you live. 
The demons can't do good works. And you say, look, if you really believe God is who he says, if you trust him, then your life should show some of those things. Don't be like the surface belief of even like a, a shuddering demon. Faith always shows itself in action. Always does. In other words, there's no lip service when it comes to following Jesus. I don't, I don't think that God plays that game. If we say we love him, we will, it will show in how we operate. And that includes when someone comes into our gatherings or someone comes into the restaurant you're at or someone comes into that coffee shop. How do you treat every person that comes through the door? Because in Christ, we're, we're to show love to everyone all across the board. Now, at the end of chapter 2, we have James using some, some character uh, studies, if you will, of people who believe God, and then they showed that by their actions. And two of them, well, there's two in there. One's Abraham, and Abraham, he didn't really even know this Yahweh God a whole lot. We don't really know much about his interaction with God before this, but we find out in Genesis that basically God shows up and says, Abraham, move. And what does Abraham do? He moves. We don't get a long treatise on, here's who I am, you can trust me, I'm good. He just tells him to go, and by faith, Abraham, Abraham goes. And we see this through the life of Abraham, that he trusted God. In fact, God at one point said, You're gonna, your children are going to bless all nations. And Abraham was really old. But the scripture said that he trusted God, and that trust and faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. Even when it seemed impossible, he trusted God. There was lots of impossible things that Abraham trusted God for, and, and so much so that the scriptures say that, we, that, that Abraham was considered a friend of God. And then we talk about Rahab. And who was Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute in the land of Canaan, in the town of Jericho. And James here is saying, look, she took action. Uh, she saw God's people, and she took action to help God's people. And it was an act of faith. And she didn't know this God, Yahweh, very well either. She didn't really know who he was, but trusted in what she was seeing and what she was hearing. So both these situations, faith played out in action. Faith played out in action. How do you act? Where is your faith playing out in action? And that's a question just to kind of leave hanging. How is your faith being visible to those around you? I love verse 8 and 12, how they talk about the royal law and the perfect law of freedom. Which is interesting. When you think about the phrase law of freedom, those seem, that seems like a counterintuitive statement. Because to me, at least for me, law seems very rigid. These are the things you do. These are the guidelines. And that doesn't feel very freeing. But the law of liberty was the door that Jesus opened because he did live the law perfectly. And now those who have faith in Jesus can begin to do those things, not to, to earn their salvation or to somehow earn their way into heaven, but to honor Jesus by faith. So we get to do action, and, and we're not going to do it perfectly, but 
His work, life, death, burial, resurrection, freed us up to then do good works, not motivated by making God like us, but because God already liked us. Do you know that before any of us were born, God already said, I love you. And he already chose you. You're already, you already have the favor of God. And so because of that, when we say yes to Jesus and we start walking by faith, we can actually live out the ways of Jesus, the way of love, the, the royal law, not out of compulsion, but out of love. We do it voluntarily. And so James would say we now get to live out this perfect law, this royal law of freedom. Jesus' perfect law-keeping and our faith in him allows us to then, it liberates us to love others. Even people who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, vote like us. That's living out that royal law, which is, you know it by heart now, love your neighbor as yourself. James is trying to get us to understand something, that when we say we believe something, it ought to play out in the things that we do. We believe all kinds of things, don't we? I mean, they can be right things, they could be wrong things. This, this is something that is in our lives all the time. And if we say God is love, but we're not very loving, then there's a, there's a disconnect with what we say we believe and how we are. And so James is trying to get us to understand something really important, that faith always plays itself out in actions. So no, no surface belief like those demons that shudder, but actually something that has weight to it. How is yours? One theologian said this, the road to maturity is paved with obedience. When I was a kid, we sang a song, an old hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other... I'm really hashing it, but to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. I know we don't sing those old hymns as much anymore, but that's always stuck in my, my brain, even as a young kid, that actually it's, it's made me recall what Jesus said. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And what is his commandment? Love. Royal law, all over again. Faith works itself out in love. Speak and act. Uh, hear and do. Remember chapter 1? Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Now, now, hold on now. The doing part doesn't save us. That's not right. But because we're saved by grace through faith, we now get to be a part of doing the good in the world. And that's a beautiful thing. Right actions become holy habits. Right actions become holy habits. Healthy thinking spurs healthy behavior. Now, if you remember, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, that's to totally fine. We talked about something in Hebrew writing, in, in Hebrew poetry, that's a device. It's like a poetic device. I realize that in our culture, if it doesn't rhyme, it ain't poetry. But do you know there's a lot of poetry that doesn't rhyme? Um, we have to expand our thinking beyond that. And the Hebrew mindset, and you'll see this in the, the book of Proverbs, if you're familiar with Proverbs, or the Psalms, you'll see some of these poetic devices start to, to display before your eyes. Things like parallelism, 
where it's saying the same thing, but then the next line says the same thing, but a little differently. We call that parallelism. Uh, There's inclusios. And what we talked about last week, in Hebrew poetry, there is chiasm. Do you remember chiasm is this idea of a truth sandwich? That was me kind of dumbing it down, I guess, for me. Uh, Truth sandwich, where there's a really important thing in the middle, and then there are repeated things on each side, kind of like the bread part of the sandwich. So we have the, 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 the meat of the truth in the middle, this important thing, this important point, uh, sort of inside, if you will, the bread with re- repeated statements. Kind of like James chapter 1 speaks about trials and tribulations. Uh, then at the end of James, he'll come back to that idea of trials and tribulations. In the middle, it's all about, hey, if you believe, do. And so that's kind of the middle of the sandwich. Well, lo and behold, we talked about this last week, but there's about 108 verses in James. Guess what shows up right in the middle? Look at the end of chapter 2, verse 26. And this is not, this is my opinion, okay? But it seems to make sense. What do you think would be the central theme then, or the, the meat part of the book of James? Here we go. Verse 26 of chapter 2. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In my opinion, I think that's the center of the chiasm. And you'll notice the repetition. You'll notice all of those things. When you, and we said this last week, when you start seeing these patterns in Scripture, it's hard not to always see them. So look for these devices. Chiasm is all over the the scriptures because the the writers of scripture many of them most of them were jewish and so this is the thing that they're used to this was poetry for them and so you'll find these patterns all throughout scripture the main point i think james is trying to get at in this particular chapter is this serving and showing compassion showcases jesus's love for everyone where you actually see through the eyes of of jesus When you look at people, you would look through the Jesus lens. You would look at people differently. You'd make eye contact. You would serve with compassion. And when we do that, we showcase Jesus to the world. The scriptures tell us in another place that the world will see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Those works don't save us, okay? But they are that that signpost that we are saved. Because these are the things that saved sorts of people do. We love our neighbor. We talk to our neighbor. We we, we serve with compassion. These are the sorts of things that people who are loved by God like to do. Serving and showing compassion showcases Jesus' love for everyone. So how's your faith? Is your faith at work today? If I ask the people in your life that are around you, when you're not around, if I ask them, how, how, how are they living this out? Do, do you see their faith at work in what they do? What would they say? And maybe some of you are like, oh, yeah, they would say that I'm all about it. And I'd be great. But maybe some of you are going, oh, I don't know, Ben. My, my beliefs and my actions aren't totally lining up here. Maybe, maybe I need to spend some time thinking and praying over that. Where my life and what I say and believe isn't matching what I do. And we're all going to struggle with that a little bit. Where is your life and what you believe not matching up to what you do? This is what I think James would like us to wrestle with, to challenge us with. Let's call it what it is. Get back to the Jesus way of life. Maybe you need a small group, you need some accountability, you need some help in this journey. And that's what a church family is all about. Maybe make lunch plans today. 
with someone, even on Father's Day, you can do that. Have some lunch and, and get some help. Expand your, your support system here. Because we're called to love everyone, no matter who they are. One of the theologians that I read this past week said, that, here's a test for us. Ready for a test? You're, you're welcome. Here's a test for you on a Sunday morning. Uh, one of the tests of the reality of our faith is how we treat other people. How we treat other people. Can you pass that test? How do you treat other people? Because it makes a big difference to Jesus. Again, there's no, qualifier on who, there's no qualifiers on who we love, no matter how they vote, how they look, how they, what their clothes look like. This is radical, radical love. This is, this is divine love. And Jesus is calling us to that. Can you pass the test? How do you, how do you treat other people? That's the litmus test that, hey, that's, my, that's one of my followers. When Jesus is looking around the room, he's looking for people that are partnering with him and loving one another. That's the royal, what? The royal law. How are you loving other people? Look, genuine faith produces genuine proof. Let me say that again. So that's pretty good. Genuine faith produces genuine proof. Is there any proof in your life that you are living out what you believe? Again, let me just say it one more time. That's not what saves you. But because you're saved and you're part of the Jesus family, you can't help but do these things of love, showing that to the world. Genuine faith produces genuine proof. Faith shows itself in action. In other words, faith is, is, is about action. Faith and action are in a beautiful dance. We don't do it to earn God's favor. We do it because of God's favor. And that's a huge difference. Listen to what one commentator wrote, and then I, I want to read it to you word for word. We obey from inward compulsion, not outward constraint. There's one obvious message in this section. Our belief should control our behavior. If we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is gracious and his word is true and one day he will judge then our conduct will reveal our convictions. Before we attack those who maybe don't have just the right doctrinal stances on things, before we do that, we must be sure that we practice the doctrines we are defending. That we're not just calling people to something that we're not even following ourselves. That's the definition of hypocrisy. Before we start attacking someone else for their beliefs, are we even living up to the beliefs we have? Look, you want an example? Jonah had wonderful theology, but he was angry all the time, and, uh, and he, he, he hated people. He did not want those foreign Ninevites to have any grace for God. The book of Jonah does not end well if you've never read the book of Jonah. Jonah had great theology, perfect orthodoxy. But his orthoproxy, right action, was way off kilter. The challenge is, and here's a challenge. You, you remember last week the challenge was to read through it, and if you didn't do that, you got time this week. Here's the, the challenge for today, is to, to look around. Find an area of need, maybe here in our church or in our community somewhere. Find an area of need that you can show compassion, that you can serve someone else, to show Jesus to people. Is there an area that you can jump in on? We used to say around here, if you see a need, meet a need. Is there a need that you could show compassion and do? What could that be? And so be praying and thinking about that. Look around. Where's somewhere that you can showcase 
Jesus' love by serving and, and having compassion. Imagine us, a group of people like us, maturing in faith and realizing that faith and action go together. And that we love because we were first loved. And that we show uh, God's love to people in practical ways. That genuine faith produces genuine proof. So what is God calling you to do? What is he calling us to do as a church family, as individuals? What actions can, can, can beef up our words? Let's just not be people who hear, but people who do. Faith in action. I want to pray for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your encouragement. The challenge of James right here, that we would be people not just of words, but of action. Father, help us to see people like you see people. Help us to have compassion on people, even people that are different than us. Father, help us to, to show your love and impartial grace and mercy to everyone without reservation. Father, help us to see with your eyes areas where we can serve and show compassion. And then that way, we would show the world your great love. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.